Good day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that samples as much as it can of the pleasures of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we road test the Hyundai Kona N-Line. Now that gives a bit of performance to a small SUV, nice balanced car. And in our interview, to get a 30-second spot during the Super Bowl, which has just been on, it costs the equivalent of 10 million Australian dollars for a 30-second spot for an ad. Brian Smith and I run a critical eye over those car ads that tried their hand in this outrageously expensive opportunity. For more information, you go to our website, which is up and running after a stumble for a while. Go to drivenmedia.com.au or any of the socials, podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, or even YouTube site. Look for Cars Transport Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 17th of February 2024. In the last month or so, we have driven and reported on a couple of the more everyday base models of the Hyundai Kona small SUV. Now we've been testing the upmarket internal combustion engine model, but no hybrid or full electric powertrain. Koners have them, but that's not what we're testing this time. Ours was the inline Kona, with more comfort features and enhanced performance. For the total car sales in 2023, the small SUV class was dominated by the MG ZS, followed by the Mazda CX-30, the Great Wall Motors Haval, Jolion, and then in fourth place, the Kona, and fifth place, the other Korean, the Kia Seltos. There are a few tried and tested vehicles, such as the Toyota CHR, the Honda HRV, and the Suzuki Vitara, which are not performing well. Mazda's MX-30 is going off the market, while Peugeot's 2008 and Citroen C4 barely raise a ripple. Subaru's performance is not as clear as the XV is going off the market and has still sold some, and is replaced with their new Crosstrek, which they've sold some as well. Combined, they'd be around 4th or 5th place. Hyundai lists the driveway price for their non-electrified Konas, as ranging from nearly $35,800 up to just under $53,200. They're not the cheapest small SUVs on the market, but they're certainly credible. Our tester, Evan Jones, explains why this Kona, in line, offers more performance without being in the highest performance stable of some special Hyundai vehicles. I don't think there's a, a Kona N. I think the only Ns are the i20s and i30s and i think there might be an elantra n but they have performance oriented versions which is your inline cars uh interesting the i30 there's an i30n as i mentioned but there's also an i30n line so you have some of the bells and whistles but not all of them and you save money i suppose but having said that yes we drove the kona n line yeah you can notice the difference between that and, and your um cooking version of Compared to the base version 2-litre normally aspirated 4-cylinder engine, our 1.6-litre turbo comes with 33% more horsepower at 146 kilowatts and a very significant 47% more torque at 265 newton metres. The benefits of this extra torque is enhanced as it reaches its full strength at quite low revs per minute compared to the non-turboed engine. 
The other wonderful advantage is that the base model comes with the CVT gearbox, but the turbo has an 8-speed automatic with paddle shifters. It also has all-wheel drive, not for bush bashing, but for significant grip, even in wet weather, on the bitumen. All Koners, overall, share a common external appearance, particularly with a number of lines and creases on the side, making it stand out from the more plain SUVs, such as Mazda's offerings. The front grilles with the Hyundai vary with the models. They're quite intricate in design, but the size is typically understated. BMW might take note. For the endline, the black finish over the mudguards highlights the angular, aggressive look of the vehicle. The endline pushes towards the transformer look. I had good adjustment of my seating position and steering wheel, and the electric seats made change easy, including raising the height without my head hitting the ceiling, even though the vehicle had a sunroof. Evan felt the vehicle used its interior space well. Plenty of room to carry your luggage, folding rear seats, of course. Good visibility all around. Parking sensors are, are, are good without being obnoxious. Oh, an interesting little thing I found for safety is I didn't quite shut the driver's door once. And the car, I went, went to put the car into drive and it said, nah, and went straight back to park. Now, I didn't pick up why that was. And then I looked at the screen and saw the door ajar warning, which, by the way, is not a very big light. Maybe that could be bigger. Once I worked that out and I shut the door properly, everything was fine. So that's good in that you, you, the car will not go anywhere until you've got all your door shut. The big 12.3-inch infotainment screen has clarity and shows things like the mapping and the reversing camera images very well. There are lots of options in the system, but working your way through them on the screen is more like a manual rather than a quick reference. Each feature has a series of options with at least two or three lines describing what your choices are. This can be helpful as long as you're not driving. If you are driving, any intended casual look at the screen can grab your attention. In response, the car will very quickly start beeping at you because you are not looking at the road. Now, of course, I shouldn't allow myself to be distracted. But then again, a car layout should not be so enticing or detailed as to take and hold your attention. The broad categories you can choose from may have a small diagram, as well as the words, to demonstrate the area of interest. But that is only vaguely indicative. Last week, Alan Zervis tried to convince us that touchscreens were always infinitely better than the dial system in Mazdas. But trying to adjust the scale on the map on this Hyundai touchscreen was finicky, cumbersome and frustrating beyond measure. It proved Alan to be totally wrong. The dash in front of the driver has good, clear, distinctive dials, although the warning symbols could be bigger. If you start using the paddles to change gear, it clearly shows which gear you are in, in a continuum of gear numbers that you have available at the speed you are travelling. It doesn't have a head-up display, which is a shame, but it does have heated and cooled seats, which I love, along with a good range of comfort features. Its safety features are also comprehensive. The driving impressions? A considerable part of the week of our road test coincided with light and heavy rain periods, and the sure-footed nature of the all-wheel drive system was very comforting, and it was a car that is enjoyable to drive. How did it handle? 
remarkably well for SUV, very, very satisfying, quite flat, not really to the detriment of ride either. Yeah, the ride was noticeably firmer, but not at all harsh because if you're looking for a performance vehicle, you know your suspension is going to be a little bit firmer, but it handled quite nicely, nice feel to the steering, no play, yeah, and it turns in. It's quite surprising. The cruise control buttons are easy to work and the lane centering is typically Korean good. It's firm without being aggressive or making exaggerated corrections, yet does a very good job of keeping you in the lane, certainly on motorways, and quite well on more twisting sections of road. It had not only adaptive cruise control, but also speed limit assist, which I haven't used much, but I found I was tending towards it. Hyundai's cruise control is good at holding your speed when you are going downhill, but then does not adjust quickly if you immediately get into an uphill environment. Now, there may be some adjustment to the setting for this, but it is very deep within the infotainment screen system. I didn't get to it. And similar to a problem we had with another Kona, a tyre warning light on the dash came up for the front left tyre when it was showing the same pressure as the front right tyre. And that doesn't make sense. There are a couple of things I found to be encouraging through reassurance. You see, a well-designed road system, particularly signposting, will have elements of reassurance. The classic example is showing your choices at an intersection, say on a rural highway, but then soon after travelling down the road you've chosen, there is a reassurance sign indicating, for example, how many kilometres there is to the destination that hopefully is one of the ones you've picked. If the destination is not on that reassurance signpost, then you have to think about whether you've made the right decision. If you are not particularly familiar with the car, do you increase the speed of your windscreen wipers by pushing the lever up or down? Or even if the wipers are finishing a swoop, have they turned off or are they just in intermittent mode? In Hyundai's, if you move the lever, a list comes up on the dash in front of the driver that indicates all the possible settings for the windscreen wipers and the one you have chosen. Love it. Another case of reassurance, or perhaps backup system, and in quite a number of other Hyundai models, is that when you put the indicator on, it shows a picture on the dashboard in front of the driver taken from the respective blind spot camera, enhancing your vision of the other traffic around you. In conclusion then, the Kona N-Line is clearly a more performance-orientated model compared to the lower-priced runabout versions. It is more spirited and precise in its performance and is enjoyable for those who like to drive. It's not the hottest version of a model in the Hyundai range, but it does what it does well. The human-machine interface can be a little complex as you try to explore all options that you have, including how to receive warning information. But nonetheless, it comes with Hyundai's reputation and maturity, its range of comfort features and an extensive list of safety features that adds to the overall sense of security. Could Evan live with it? Tire warning system aside, yes, yes. I'm quite happy with it. It's quite a luxurious car. Obviously, spend a lot more time and get into the brains of the warning systems, so I use which ones to switch off. But as a driving 
the drive around uh, and live with, yes, yes, I think it was very nice. A very good SUV for sure. You're listening to Overdrive. Evan, the crash test regime is getting tougher, particularly in Australia. Yes, it appears that way. They've moved the goalposts a fair bit. From what I understand, there's a new ADR, which is actually currently unique to Australia. I believe it will come, it will roll out across the world eventually, but we're first. And that involves a sideways impact into a post or a pole. It's something that then is ultimately reflected in the ANCAP, which is ADR is a different thing. That's the design rules, isn't it? You don't really have to comply with ANCAP, although it's good for sales, but you do have to comply with ADRs. And this particular test will obviously apply to both. It just makes it tougher and tougher. But, of course, it's critical then that if you get an ANCAP test that you know what year it was done in, because to get five stars now is much tougher than getting five stars even last year. Absolutely, absolutely. The goalposts, oh, I won't say the goalposts, the bar is being raised all the time, which is a good thing for the for Joe Average behind the wheel, I suppose, but it makes it harder and harder for the manufacturers to uh, be able to produce a product with the coveted five stars. And it's harder to understand a Kona now four-star and the previous model was five, and the reality is the, the later model is certainly no less safe. If not, it's better, but it's got a higher bar to jump. Do you think some car manufacturers might start removing some cars from the market simply because it would be hard to pass the tougher tests? There's a bit of a contrast here. From what I understand, Lexus are pulling the plug on at least three models because they know they that car won't pass, those models won't pass this ADR test, so they won't be able to sell them in Australia, so they're being pulled. I believe also they may be rationalising a couple by sort of moulding two models into one, and at the end of the day, they're only going to have three or four models for sale in Australia. It was funny that a lot of those prestige car manufacturers, Mercedes-Benz is the best example, have a plethora of models which must be hard to maintain dealerships and spare parts and dealerships with enough cars on the floor that represent the choices that you have. It becomes surprising that in many ways that a lot of those prestige car manufacturers have such a wide range for a market that is not nearly as big as, say, Mazda or Toyota. I agree. Mercedes is an interesting example because they've gone down the path of um, fixed-price sales. Mm. Their dealers can no longer deal. They are just they're just sales outlets now. I think Tesla is, is similar. At least Tesla set up that way from day one, where Mercedes and possibly Porsche have evolved that way. I met a guy the other day who went to Audi for that very reason, that he'd had three or four Mercedes over the time, couple in the family, and found that, that, that they just wouldn't do him a deal. He thought that he deserved some loyalty and didn't get it, so he went to Audi and he's very, very happy. It's not that he they, they didn't, they weren't allowed. No, yes. Mm. He saw it as saying that they could sell the car anyway and they didn't care, which is interesting because that may not reflect the actual pressure that the dealer is under. Correct, yeah. That, that attitude probably might be back in Germany, in the head office. But, yeah, I would put it to you that the, the local bloke who's looking for his next breakfast uh, may argue the point. 
You're listening to Overdrive. The Super Bowl is big, like many things that are American. But America has yet to fully learn that big is not necessarily beautiful. Ads in the Super Bowl this year, 2024, cost the equivalent of about 10 million Aussie dollars for just one 30-second spot. Car companies have ventured into this hallowed advertising territory, but this year only four plus one with a sort of off-road, pure off-road vehicle are taking that opportunity. It is a national christening of corporate iconography, a different species in the advertising kingdom. How does it then reflect on the car companies that have chosen to participate? Well, as we have done in the past, who better to talk about the zeitgeist of the times and whether these ads fit in well than our good friend Brian Smith. Gay Brian. G'day, David. We have talked about this in the past, and I think in the past there were quite a number of them that were very heavily on nationalism, weren't there? Yes, yes, definitely kind of um, flag and country kind of stuff in the past, making that emotional connection between the brand, uh, the car brand, and then some element of uh, legendary American history, cowboys, rugged individualism, etc., and military. Some years back when they were in the war fighting in Afghanistan, that's when they had pictures of people being reunited after a term of military service and things like that. Mm. There was also that intense Americanism. Bob Dylan was had that great line, there's nothing more American than America. <laughs> it was advertising the Jeep. Yes. Now it's much more about celebrities, really, isn't it? It is, David. And, and the interesting thing I saw among all of the ads was – They represent brands that were not American icons, but probably adversaries during World War II. (laughs) So um, BMW, VW, Germans, right? Kawasaki, Toyota, the Japanese. I think the only one that didn't hit that was uh, Kia as a Korean company, but um, I guess there was the Korean War. So uh, perhaps they're trying to <laughs> trying to uh, <laughs> apologise or, or get get some kind of uh, recognition that they're they're not the enemy as the American companies kind of fled the field in a sense. But yes, you're right about celebrities. Although one or two of the celebrities, I was like, I don't know who this is. This is American stuff. Yes, American nonsense. I. I don't know, need to know about these. Well, it is very much for American market. It, it was apparently played out here, but the ads were local ads and fairly yes. boring at the time too. But it's really maybe publicising the celebrity more than the product. Certainly the BMW one, David, with Christopher Walken. BMW is really just a bookends. You know, he talks about the vehicle at the start and then it's a constant stream of people doing his voice to the end. So it's a weird connection to make. Someone in writing a review of it said that they had to Google back in to find out which was the company that did it because Uh they'd lost track of it. I've got some sound grabs here. It is Christopher Walken saying that it's got to be the real deal, and then he meets a series of people, such as the person delivering coffee at a fast food drive through Of course. Enjoy your coffee. He acts in a tolerant but somewhat peeved way, doesn't he? And then he gets the lady yes. who's walking her dog and turns to him when he's got his dog and says, Your dog's so cute. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, so adorable. Yeah. Wow. 
And then finally he gets it with the waiter in the restaurant. Hello, Mr. Walken, does this table work for you? At that stage, uh, Walken says, yeah, and, and, and someone picks up at another table that he's used one of his standard sort of expressions. He's a little bit like the modern day equivalent of Jimmy Stewart, isn't he? Yes, yes, that unusual phrasing. But, of course, the person at the table is Usher, a global music superstar who was performing at the Super Bowl. So the whole ad was a delivery of the oh, wow element of gosh, there's Usher. You lose track of what the ad is about, the theme of the real deal and then a whole bunch of people pretending to be Walker, not necessarily pretending, but doing his voice, like mimicking him. It goes nowhere. There's no payoff at the end, right? The payoff is here's, a, here's another star that we've just seen for five seconds, which we're supposed to be amazed by. Well, he does try to get back to the real deal. This is the final voiceover, which is not even Walken himself. There's only one Christopher Walken and only one ultimate driving machine. There's only one Christopher Walken and one ultimate driving machine. He doesn't even mention the name. No, that's right. And it's mentioned it's that it's 100% electric at the very beginning. And again, there's no payoff to that. There's no demonstration why that would be any better. Whereas the Kia ad, which is bewildering from the beginning, uh, you know, the, the empty seat at the girls' uh, ice skating display. This is a classic emotional thing, isn't it? Young girl doing very, very well in an ice skating competition. Looks very briefly over her shoulder. Her dad's there smiling, but the seat beside is empty. Yes, and I thought it's the classic Disney movie thing of the trope of the girl's mother has died. But, of course, it's not the mother. And it's not dead. It, sorry. Yes. It, it, it's grandfather. So the Kia drives out through the snow and ice to where grandfather is sitting, I think, in a wheelchair. Very briefly, you see that. And then she does her act on the pond that's covered in ice outside. And he writes the 10 on the the frosted window, the, the condensation on the window. But, of course, the point is that the, the lighting is provided by the Kia, the Kia's vehicle-to-load technology. So Dad plugs in the music system and plugs in the lights on the Kia. So so the whole thing is is set up to kind of sell one tiny part of that car. And the question I had at the end was, was Grandad hit by a car? How did he become crippled? (laughs) I thought they raised him from the dead. (laughs) Stand back, power. (laughs) (laughs) And use the batteries, well, at least the paddles at the very least. Frankenstein style. (laughs) It's alive. And, of course, they missed the opportunity with the EV9 to make the score a nine which, of course, would have been churlish on on the part of the grandfather, disrespectful grandfather. It was undercovered by this music. Which really was all very sentimental. So another thing I picked up on, David, with the Kia ad is it's a people mover, yet there is only the father and daughter. (laughs) It's the rest of the kids. Are they all dead? I think someone needs to be asking the father some questions here. Where's the mother? It's a seven-seater, and there's just one child in there. The only support crew are male. Uh, Yes, yes. (laughs) This Kia ad 
And even the characters that were in the BMW with Christopher Walken were young, but Volkswagen is really just pushing the age, surely. Yes, yes, it's sort of history and heritage. And this one made me laugh, David, and not because they wanted me to laugh. It's about VW's place in American history, yet it opens in 1949. And the immediate question is, I wonder what was happening five or so years before that with VW? <laughs> Why did they start at 1949? And, and the other thing that, that struck me, David, that this love affair with v, VW that America supposedly has, I don't know that there was ever a love affair. They showed the, a lot about the early Beatle and people sort of running and looking at it and being amused, uh, uh, amazed by it. But for me, the VW, early VWs, were just some unusual, quirky thing. It's a bit like a, seeing an old Citroen and going, what the hell is that? That's It was so different to every other kind of American car. And I don't believe that there was a love affair. People possibly mocked it more than, than loved it. And I think the only other vehicle that they sort of showed in terms of the love affair was the Combi. As a, as a sort of a beach vehicle. But again, it's revisionism. I don't know that lots of Americans other than hippies embraced the Beetle and embraced the, the Combi. The Combi, I thought, had greater potential mm. than a free spirit. Possibly people within an age of buying a car because they wanted to rather than a, a little Beetle like every runabout car, Ford Prefect or whatever. It's affordable. Mm. In the past, Fiat 500, I mean, they, they had kids. Ron Howard, the once star, now director, still has his original Beetle. I think there are some that do it. But it's not a universal American love affair with this vehicle. I mean, Herbie the love bug, yeah, okay, ah. they, they showed a snippet from that, and, it, and that was a, a much-loved movie in that it had some sequels like almost every American movie has a whole series of sequels. But, but the other thing that struck me, David, is they showed a child in a Darth Vader mask. And again, there's that connection with evil, right? It's the baddie. <laughs> they didn't show a Kubler wagon. That's right? it. sort of a That's military right. stuff. Maybe <laughs> that would have been going too far. Yes, what was VW famous for back then? You know, <laughs> <laughs> But, Brian, you mentioned Herbie. I don't see that as being a modern, trendy thing. Oh, gosh, no. The 60s, maybe that still has a great aura around it, possibly more to do with love, peace, sex and drugs and rock and roll. But Herbie, yeah. Herbie was the sort of thing that you embarrassingly put up on your 40th birthday <laughs> as a, along with flares. History revisionism, David, I think it was. I think they're, they're trying to recreate a a history and a connection that was never really there. Is that because a lot of Volkswagens now really look rather bland? I think it's also, David, that they cheated on emission controls. And I think maybe they're trying to overcome in the world of sort of zero emission and electrification, which they didn't touch on at all, right? Barely. They're modern stuff. But I think maybe they're trying to sort of win back their place as a trusted brand. With an emotional connection. So old people, you'd be right though, David. Like who's who's the market here? People who remember that stuff in the 60s, people who are 60 years old or 70 years old or even earlier for the VWs in you know, the early 50s. These are ancient people now. Are they buying cars? Is, is someone going to be wanting to buy a VW because people dance the jitterbug near it? <laughs> Misguided for mine. 
but hilarious in the fact that it starts in 1949 without any acknowledgement of what happened before with VW. It gets even deeper than that because the background music, and I'll just play a little. But I got an emptiness deep inside that I tried, but it won't let me go. It is Neil Diamond singing I Am, I Said. And I'm not a man who likes to swear, but I never cared for the sound of being alone. Great song. Fantastic emotional connection song. Again, I, I, I don't understand how it relates to VW. It is a profoundly emotional song, but about loneliness. Yes. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Bye. And that's our good friend Brian Smith, who is a transport planner, but also one who watches the things of the world very closely. The full interview with Brian is on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Evan Jones, Brian Smith, Bruce Potter and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or for links to the socials and podcasts, look for Cars, Transport, Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.